Welcome to South Florida Sundays. Today we're joined by Dr. David Kleiman, who is a cardiac electrophysiologist with cardiovascular care. Um, he's part of the Palm Beach Health Network Physician Group and is on staff at both Delray Medical Center and West Boca Medical Center. Thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. One of your main specialties is the detection and treatment of heart arrhythmias. Can you kind of explain what that is? Sure. Well, it's not one of my main specialties. It's actually pretty much all that I do. Okay. So uh, uh, I'm, a, um, I'm a cardiologist, um, and I subspecialize in cardiac electrophysiology. And like you said, heart arrhythmias is pretty much all that I do. A heart arrhythmia is anything but a completely normal heart rhythm. So okay. um, uh, that can range anywhere from uh, extremely benign heart arrhythmias, for example, something called sinus arrhythmia, which happens in uh, completely healthy people, um, to extremely dangerous heart arrhythmias like ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation and everything in between. So it's my job to, um, to diagnose the heart arrhythmia, to figure out if it's dangerous or not, and to treat accordingly. And I believe atrial fibrillation, AFib, is one of the most well-known heart arrhythmias. Uh, why is that one so common? AFib is a very common heart arrhythmia. Um, the reason why it's so common is that as people get older, um, their atria, the top chambers of their heart, mm. uh, tend to get a little bit damaged, which usually is not dangerous, um, okay. but can result in this arrhythmia called AFib. So it typically happens in the elderly um, populations, um, which is common everywhere, but especially in South Florida. Oh, wow. Is there a reason why it's more common in Florida? Because they're, um, it, the, the demographic tends to be older. <laughs> oh, got you. Had me consider relocating. Uh, yes. Um, so you kind of touched on that the condition affects people who are older, which was one of my other questions. Does it target a certain demographic of people? Like what about those who have a family history or like a specific gender? Um, no, I, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, the studies may show it happens a little, a little bit more in men than women, but there probably is no gender preference. Um, the most common demographic, the most common type of person that has AFib is someone who is older, so age over 75, very common. About one out of five people have it. Oh, wow. And people with high blood pressure. And high blood uh, pressure, okay. Which is also a very, very common um, uh, thing. So that's why so many people have it. Um, there are other kind. There are some people who are just 90 years old and otherwise in perfect health and will develop it. The main, the main thing is um, older people. It tends to be an arrhythmia of older people, but it also happens in younger people. I actually have a, an acquaintance who didn't know he had the condition until he fainted after standing up too fast. I mean, I don't know if that's one of the symptoms, but can you tell the audience what they should be looking out for? Uh, so you look out for symptoms. Um, uh, most common symptoms associated with AFib is uh, palpitations. You feel the heart race and it mm -hmm. can race irregularly, but a lot of people don't feel the heart race at all. Also, mm -hmm. there is fatigue if suddenly people get very tired for no particular reason um, or shortness of breath. Uh, that can also um, be symptoms that are manifested uh, by AFib. 
Um, uh, passing out is not a usual symptom, though it does happen rarely with AFib. There might have been other things going on, and the passing out was incidental. Um, and also, it's very important that people follow up regularly with their doctors because, right. um, you know, very commonly it's found incidentally in the doctor's office. Everything is fine, and on a routine doctor's visit, uh, the doctor will detect an irregular heart rate. Um, do an EKG and diagnose AFib. It's very important to do because um, early detection is the key to treating it properly. Right, right. Um, is there something that we could be doing to sort of kind of prevent experiences in the future? To prevent AFib from happening? Yeah. Yes, don't get old. <laughs> There's really no way to prevent it. Other no. than, you know, try to lead a healthy lifestyle. That helps. Um, right. Sleep apnea is another big contributor to AFib. So if you have sleep apnea and don't like using the treatment, try to rethink that um, and understand that not treating sleep apnea has health consequences, including AFib. Treating high blood pressure, just, just try to be healthy generally, um, see your doctor, treat medical problems. But even if you do everything right, you still might get AFib. Right. I understand that. Um, there are also a lot of people living with the condition, um, as you said before. And when you deal with something daily, you sort of kind of build a routine around it and start um, normalizing certain symptoms. But when should someone seek medical care for their irregular heartbeat? What's, when is it a major problem? Well, anytime someone has AFib, they should get regular medical care and be monitored um, for further treatment. So often people are sent to me for evaluation. Mm -hmm. and, um, I will speak to the patient and individualize treatment. And treatment options vary. They, they go anywhere from no treatment at all, except for blood thinners. Blood thinners are very important to prevent strokes in AFib, which you may or may not be asking me more about that. Um, so oftentimes I'll just allow a patient to stay in AFib uh, and treat with blood thinners. And um, sometimes I treat in other ways. There are different procedures that I do up to and including a catheter ablation, which is a, an invasive procedure where I uh, burn out the short circuits responsible for AFib. But mm -hmm. it all depends on the individual patient. And so I assess each patient individually. I assess uh, their needs, how they feel, um, what the risks are of doing any kind of treatment, including the procedure, and I do what's right for the individual patient. Yeah, what is the correlation between uh, having a stroke and AFib? There's a strong correlation. Um, AFib is one of the most important reasons why people have a stroke. The way strokes happen in AFib is that the top chamber of the heart, the atrium, does not beat very strongly because of the arrhythmia, mm -hmm. and blood pools in that chamber and can cause blood clots to form. So, um, so that's why blood thinners are a mainstay of treatment for AFib. We used to use a medication called warfarin or Coumadin. Um, that was difficult to use because it required frequent monitoring with blood tests to make sure they were on the right dose. Nowadays, we use um, uh, newer medications that don't require monitoring and, and that are equally as effective as warfarin in preventing stroke. Um, if someone has a problem with taking the blood thinner, usually because they have bleeding problems mm -hmm. from the blood thinner, we can implant um, a device called the Watchman device. Um, there are other ones like the Watchman device, um, 
made by other companies, but the most common is the Watchman device, which is a device that we uh, place through the groin, and it goes into a little pouch in the top left chamber of the heart and blocks it off, and that is the area where most blood clots form, and that is as effective as, um, as blood thinners in preventing stroke, and then the patient can get safely off the blood thinner if they're having bleeding problems. Do you ever get any patients that had a stroke referred to you? Absolutely. Uh, one of the most common procedures that I do uh, is a very simple procedure called an implantable loop recorder. Uh, it's done under local anesthesia that has almost no risk. It has no risk at all, really. Um, basically, what I do is I numb up the skin and put this tiny little heart recorder under the skin. And I often do it for people who have what's called cryptogenic stroke, which means stroke without knowing exactly why they had the stroke. And we put in the loop recorder uh, to look for AFib as a reason. And so the loop recorder records what's happening with the heart? Exactly. It's basically um, having a continuous EKG monitor, and it lasts for about three years. So if someone's going to have an episode of AFib, Let's say someone has a stroke, mm-hmm. you put in the loop recorder, um, and then you're able to monitor them for AFib through a remote monitor from home. Oh, wow. Um, and we monitor them for arrhythmias, especially for AFib. And then if they have AFib, that's very, very useful because we can then start them on blood thinners, like I mentioned previously, and prevent another stroke. Wow, that's amazing technology, right? <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing to use technology to help patients. I think it is amazing. And as I mentioned before, you have an office at the Delaware Medical Center, and you're also on the campus of the West Boca Medical Center. Can you tell us about what patients might expect if they come to see you and your team? So they'll, they'll come in. Usually they come referred by a cardiologist, but not always. Um, so they will have already had some basic testing like echocardiogram, EKGs, um, heart monitors, If they don't, I'm going to um, uh, see the patient, um, look at an EKG that was done before the visit, talk to the patient, do a general evaluation, usually order a few tests like Mm -hmm. an echocardiogram and a heart monitor, and then see the patient and follow up. Um, I'll often speak to the referring doctor to see what's on their mind and um, figure out what's the best approach for the patient whether it's doing nothing at all, ordering more tests, doing a procedure, whatever whatever is necessary. I really like that you uh, actually contact the other doctor, the referring doctor, to make sure that you both are on the same page when you're dealing with the patient. That's amazing. I I don't always do it if it's very obvious what the the doctor wants. Mm -hmm. I won't necessarily, but they'll always get a letter from me. But if there's any question that I have that I'm not able to get from the paperwork that's sent to me, I'll do whatever is necessary to give the best possible care, which includes collaborating with the referring doctor. Well, it really does seem like you and your team really care for each patient that walks through your doors and go above and beyond to get them back on their feet. How can listeners get in touch with you and your team? Uh, They can call the office. I'm at Delray Medical Center. The office number is 561-638-638. 9140. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this information with our audience. You're welcome.